Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we are talking with Anthony Temperante. He is a mentor, investor, and product and business development director at Datamo. Uh, we are going to talk a lot about business development, sales, and his experience running uh, sales organizations. So I hope that this episode will be really valuable for you who, if you are starting to build a company and starting to build that knowledge to, to generate sales in, in your journey. So welcome, Tony. How are you? Hey, Ricardo. I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, go a little bit deeper into business development for startups and, and founders. Good, good. So, Tony, um, let's start chronologically. So how do you start working into, into sales and business development? So what brings you to this area in your life? Mm, yeah, so from from an educational perspective, I, I have a degree in marketing. So, um, you know, marketing is a, a flavor of business development. And uh, most of my roles uh, when I started when I was younger were classic uh, telesales. So uh, I won't maybe say how many years ago because I don't want to share how old I am. Uh, but that was my, my foray into the business world of, of real classic selling. Uh, from there, evolved into um, with startups. Uh, actually, I evolved into more of a product in, in classic business development. Uh, so, meaning uh, helping customers uh, with their products and upselling, and then getting referrals, and and then trying to work through networking. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, really continued within the technical sphere. Um, so IT is, is sort of always been the domain that I've been or the industry that I've been focused in um, and then had a handful of roles uh, that have been from product program manager to business and business operations and sales operations to uh, where I am today, which is heavy, heavily focused on product and business development. Good, good. So um, how how does it look your time right now? Uh, you are still doing the calls or telemarketing and so on, or you are more focused into the strategy. So how does it look a typical day for you? Yeah. So that's a, you know, a great question. Of course, I don't think any day is completely typical. Um, you have some routines, you try to follow some routines. Uh, you want to make sure that you're constantly uh, doing some lead generation, or I still do some lead generation. So whether it's emails or LinkedIn, going to events, uh, conferences, seminars. So there is still that you, you need to constantly be uh, engaging uh, and talking to customers. So there's always that aspect. But then, of course, as leads become opportunities, then you know they move further down the sales process and the, in the pipeline. 
then of course the role takes on a, a different aspect. So you have to, so I work a lot right now at data while we do a lot with services and when we're doing custom and tailored solutions, that requires a, a much more unique approach. It's, you know, it's not a product off the shelf that, that you're purchasing. So you have to really work with a lot more individuals. Um, you have to make, um, let's say, more detailed presentations and, and proposals, uh, if you will. So uh, I'm pretty lucky right now. I get to work, uh, let's say, sort of a, you know, a nine to five. I don't have a lot of uh, U.S. hours or Asian hours. So ba being based here in Prague um, and working with a lot of European based companies is good. And but there's always, again, like I mentioned, events. So there are things, some things that I have to do offline. Uh, I also do, uh, as you introduced, I do some mentoring, I do investing. Uh, and so when I'm, you know, working with, say, uh, a young founder um, and who needs some mentoring in this space, again, that kind of pops up. There's no, you know, he's not just sitting there waiting. So when I work with mentors uh, as a mentor, then you have another little mini routine that you go through, of course, but it could take something that could take a few weeks. It happens after after hours, let's say. Maybe it's an evening thing uh, or early morning. So there's different uh, aspects that come into play depending on on who uh, who I'm speaking with. Good. Uh, maybe if we can go into this area of mentoring and investing. So uh, what kind of help are you currently doing for or a startup founders into this area? So yeah, so I really focus uh, across three components. So I really focus on product marketing and sales. Uh, that's my strength. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a programmer by education or nature, so it's not gonna help me to look at code uh, or your tech stack. Um, but because of my background and, and maybe just to, to clarify, you know, I, I did, I co-founded a company about 10 years ago, which was a complete failure, uh, which also taught me a lesson that, you know, maybe I'm not suited to be an entrepreneur, but I am much more, uh, let's say, set up based on my experiences and my passion to to mentor uh, and to angel invest. And so when I'm working with a founder, it's usually somebody who is obviously lacking in these areas or needs to drastically improve. And it's really a question about where they are on their journey. Are they, are they pre-seed? Are they seed? Are they series A? Um, how well is their product or their service and what is their, their background? You know, how, how attuned are they to engaging with customers? It's, it's not always easy to get hundreds of no's in your face and then wake back up again the next day and, and hunt for that yes. So it's, is there a lot of things that we try to take into consideration? Um, and, and the goals, of course, like where are they trying to go as a, as a founder? Are you, are, have you bootstrapped, you know, and you're just trying to, you know, grow the business uh, with certain metrics and, and geographies or industries, or are you looking for the next round, you know, and, and trying to set companies up for that uh, seed or that series A investment? So there's a, a different, different ways to always look at who I'm speaking with and, and how I can help them. And, and then when I do help them, I usually help them through a series of frameworks um, and sessions. So we, we sort of have a discovery session, understand the goals, understand where they want to head. Uh, and then once we understand where they want to go, then we create a little mini plan. Um, and that plan can can take on a few different uh, aspects. So if they're more technically based, then, of course, I, I try to teach them maybe a little bit more about how sales and marketing and, and product market fit work. 
And if they're, let's say, more on the business side of things, then it's sort of elevating them up to to be to more active. Maybe they're a, sort of a step ahead of the curve, so to speak. So there's a lot of things that I, I take in consideration. I, I don't, I've never really looked at someone uh, as, as uh, a person who's reinvented the wheel when it comes to mentoring. Uh, I really try to take the best practices, the best trainings, the best frameworks, and uh, apply them when needed uh, to the founders and, and with that their goals and missions are. Okay, sounds great. So just before going deeper into this part of your frameworks and processes and how you are helping the founders, maybe can we talk a bit about um, your full-time activities uh, in data mode? So what is data mode and what is the problem that you are helping to solve with them? Sure. Yeah, so, so data mode is a, is a prog-based data and AI company. And we really focus on helping industry, like industrial types of companies uh, on their way to becoming more sustainable and profitable with, you know, AI, you know, innovative AI solutions and, uh, and for their businesses. So that means tailored IoT, machine learning, AI solutions, and the focus is within the sectors of agriculture, manufacturing, biotech, and food tech. Uh, we are going on eight plus years. We have almost 100 employees. We are also now located in a few different cities throughout the, the Czech Republic. And of course, we have remote <laughs> workers and, and hybrid uh, as well. And I think the, the great thing here about Datamol is, is the culture uh, that we really strive for. We're really people focused and that really shines through when we're working on custom solutions because, you know, if you're focusing uh, like we do on our employees, then as employees, when we're working on projects, we're focusing back on the people who we're building these custom solutions for. Uh, and I think that really pays dividends for us. And it's why we've been so successful and we've been able to to grow. I myself, I've been here for almost four years. And yeah, it's obviously, if we look at the market right now, uh, you know, AI is, is booming uh, for better or for worse. Yeah, we have a lot of people who are obviously very inquisitive about these areas, but also now you're seeing startups all over. So it's it's quite an interesting time where a few years ago when I mentioned that we're an AI company, people might kind of turn their head a little bit. And now it's uh, I think people are much more receptive, but there's also a lot more noise. For, for us, what we focus, our main problem is how do you improve your business case if you're you know a manufacturing company, if you're a farm, if you have a a tractor how do you how do you apply ai machine learning to these physical things and a lot of times it just comes down to uh, how do you change actually the company to become ai driven how do you extract the data how do you turn the data into insights and then how do you apply machine learning to, to optimize to increase yield increase forecasting so there's a, a lot of business cases but there's a lot of partnerships involved within the company uh, and working together on what are the company goals and how do we start to apply this. So there's, a, there's actually a lot of education that needs to come into play. Uh, the other, I think, aspect for how we help solve problems are companies tend to think, oh, I'll just hire a data scientist. Oh, I'll hire an AI engineer. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. You, you have to build up the competency, the understanding, and then, of course, the best practices. And so a lot of times, Companies think they can hire just a few people, start doing some data analysis, and then, oh, great, now we can optimize, and they're done. But actually, that, that's very far from it. Uh, 
So we really want to come in, become a true partner, help you with your proper planning, your processes, your resources, uh, so you can achieve your goals. And, and then we continue to move with you down the sort of the AI food chain, right? So it's really about setting your data up for success, visualizing that data, you know, that it's uh, insights that people from across the company can see. So whether it's the R&D team, the sales team, your end customer, et cetera. Uh, and then, like I said, applying those, the, the AI, you know, the algorithms, the models and best practices is, is where we try to strive uh, with our with our company and the problems that we try to solve for our customers. Okay, it sounds like you have a lot in your hands now. <laughs> um, yeah, so if I understood you well, like a lot of the process start kind of as a service, right? So you need to help them to, to define their needs and then kind of plan what are you actually going to execute, right? So um, what is your strategy to help them to to work with them as a service, right? Like how do they see the value if, if they first need to plan, then try to execute when maybe they see, as you mentioned before, that if they hire just a data analyst, it will bring results for them uh, based on maybe, of course, as a misunderstanding of the, yeah. of the industry. But um, yeah, how, how, how do you... S- educate them to see value into this entire process that is not just one person running there and extracting data so yeah that's uh that's the million dollar question isn't it uh because as a end customer you say something like oh i i want this predictive formula applied to my machine my device Uh, i want predictive maintenance i want to increase my crop yields Uh, i want computer vision they start, you know, sort of with this business case and the business case is because I'm applying this type of solution, it will increase my revenue. It will decrease my, my service costs, you know, my technician costs. It will uh, create a stickiness to my product so that I can upsell later. Uh, you know, so it really comes back to, you know, time, money, resources. Uh, and that's where they start. But of course, as you, it's like an onion, you know, you have to keep peeling back the layers because actually there's, there's much, much more to that. So, um, first of all, there's very, it's almost impossible to just duplicate a solution from one company to the next. There is some kind of legacy, um, you know, infrastructure technology. There's, you know, different variables along the way about uh, where devices are located or uh, how, you know, big, or how much data is being able to be sent, where it's being able to send, how often it's being able to send, there's costs associated with that. You know, you can't just send data all the time. So there's all these different aspects about this. Uh, So what we really try to do is just start back from the beginning and say, okay, well, you know, do you even have the data? (laughs) You know, because if you don't have data, what are you going to do? So first of all, let's just start, let's let's start from the beginning. uh, And it's a series of questions to better understand that business case. So obviously you ask them why you want to do what you're doing, uh, where are you trying to go? That's that's great. You want to paint that that picture, and when that's very clear, then we then we come back to the okay. Let's start now at the at the base, and so we have a series of blueprints uh, and some ready-made products that we can start applying on this journey. So it's, if it's about collecting the data, uh, setting up the data for success, the ingestion, the pipelines, leveraging it in the cloud, 
So we have certain things that we can start to do, but that's really where the beginning it usually starts because a lot of customers have, they have siloed data, they have dirty data, uh, and you really got to get your hands dirty and clean it up uh, and make sure that it's set up for success. Uh, you know, shit in and shit out. So we really try to start at the beginning and make sure the quality is, uh, is increasing in, at a place that we can extract the data and work with it uh, later on as we start to apply more of these unique solutions. Okay, understood. And what are the what is or more milestones that you are proud till now in your work with data mode? So if you can mention some of, of these. Yeah, so when I first started, we were about 40, 50 uh, employees and, and I was really the very first uh, business facing person uh, outside the CEO. So uh, I came in with a, let's say, a completely green field. Uh, and was able to put in the sales process as, as there was nothing there before, uh, put in frameworks, the CRM, uh, how we address, uh, you know, inbound and outbound. So you know, setting up emails, scripts, uh, creating toolkits, um, you know, and then working uh, as we started to grow, uh, you know, working with the marketing team and the communication team and the products, the product managers who would come in. So those are, from that perspective, was you know, something I'm quite proud of and, and maybe a little more overarching is we few years back started to uh, put in OKRs uh, you know as the company started to grow you can't just kind of talk to somebody down the hall and be like hey how's that going did we hit our you know, milestone and goal so as the team started to grow and we had different units or let's say departments uh, kind of establishing the OKRs was was very beneficial so we could see across the teams where we're going how we can help and and we're all how we're making success together mm -hmm. that sounds great so since you mentioned that you were hired when you were the first salesperson in the company, so and now kind of extrapolating this to to other companies, uh, how do you feel when is the right time to hire that first sales lead leader or salesperson who will be creating these frameworks and processes that you have mentioned uh, since when you started you mentioned that there was only the the ceo maybe generating the sales so how yeah what is your recommendation for companies out there when they need to hire their first the first salesperson and yeah when is the ideal um situation that this needs to happen mm -hmm. So that's a, a tough question. So there's a, a few prerequisites. So number one is what are you selling? What is your business, right? Why do people want to buy from you? Uh, is it a product? Is it a service? Is it a product plus services that have to be combined? Um, I think once it's very clear what it is that you're offering, then it becomes much clearer on how do you expect to generate business? Uh, so if you're a pure product and let's say you're a, a SaaS or SaaS-ish type of company where somebody can simply, you know, go to your website, click pay. You don't need a lot of sales for that, right? They're, they're, you're not engaging with the customers um, on phone or video very much. Yes, you might have a, a tier for enterprise, but you know, you can have a, a product manager or CEO uh, until you get bigger uh, management. And again, I'm, I'm talking from you know a startup, right? I'm talking from a, a small company perspective. If you're more services, um, that's where it becomes also quite uh, interesting because 
what how big is your service is this a big ticket service is this something that is you kind of get locked in and bolted in and they and they're tied to you forever or is it you come in deliver and you're out um or maybe you're starting to incubate a few different products uh or services and you and you're a mix so when you have these different aspects this is why when i kind of came back to my you know what i help with mentors is what's your product marketing sales think of that triangle and, and you know or you know flywheel or if you will how are they all connected uh, so you have to first start with you know come back to your product how well does it work you need to do some marketing maybe you can hire an agency to start with just to kind of get the buzz you need customer feedback right you need that feedback loop and then once you get that feedback coming in then it's a question of how do you want to apply the sales so is it something that you can do uh, you know, with, with email linkedin is it something that you need to set up campaigns uh so you need to have some sort of say a more classic marketing channel and then but you also need to have a, a rep some sort of salesperson engaging with the customer because the sale does require a few touch points um you know so think about customer journey you know and again all these things constantly evolve uh, it's never going to be the right answer from the beginning but i think a lot of companies will oh i have this awesome thing and i'm gonna hire a salesperson and then they hire a salesperson but they never set the salesperson up for success. A salesperson is a tool, right? A salesperson is a way to achieve something. And usually the salesperson goes back to the product um, and or the marketing and says, okay, who, who are we selling to? Where are we going? And if a CEO made the first five sales because of referrals and networks and didn't create this, you know, this information or didn't set up the salesperson for success, then you can, uh, you can see why it fails and why a lot of CEOs get angry and upset. Oh, I, I can never find the right salesperson. Well, you, because you didn't set the right salesperson up for success, you know? So how do you get there? And the way that you get there is um, maybe, you know, well, there's, there's quite a lot of ways to get there, but <laughs> it, it's really understanding your market and your product uh, and different, uh, let's say, strategies that you can take and different tools you can apply and frameworks you can invest in to constantly make sure you're finding uh, that that sweet spot for your your product or your services. Okay, so if I understood well, your your answer is is related that ideally, once the salesperson, the first salesperson is onboarded, uh, there have to be already already proof that there is product market fit. That's is that correct or as an assumption or so yeah, so I think. I feel, yeah. No, no, keep going. Yeah, yeah go ahead. <laughs> so product market fit is great. Product market fit is, but it's always evolving. So when you bring that first salesperson in, how are you looking at what they're trying to achieve? So if you're a very small company, that salesperson probably needs to wear a few different hats. So that means they're probably wearing a research hat, right? It also means they are the, the channel back to the product owner or the product manager, which is usually the CEO or the CTO. Because the CEO and CTO are also building the product. They're not always out hearing. They're not listening. They're not asking questions. So that's where, in the beginning, that first salesperson should probably not be treated so much as a black and white, here's your quota. It probably needs to be a little bit more of a hybrid. And that person is, when they're going out and they're bringing feedback, to you, that's that's not time spent on sales, right? 
And if a salesperson is working eight hours a day, but they're spending three, four hours on feedback, they are planting the seeds for a better product, which then means better marketing and sales down the road. So if you're saying, I need sales and I need sales now, and you hire a salesperson, but you didn't set them up for success because the salesperson is going out and, and failing, then you need to look at, well, maybe your offering isn't that good, right? And how do you figure out what your offering is? Well, that's like you said, product market fit. Well, how do you find product market fit? For me, that's where I really like to go into, well, what's your value proposition? So once you understand what your value proposition is, then if, and if your value proposition is, let's say, and again, always evolving, I understand, but in your first iteration or first couple of iterations, if your value proposition is clicking and resonating with both feedback and at least some positive trajectory towards sales, then you definitely have uh, or are on path for, for product market fit. So, and I think just for your audience, you know, people ask, well, what is product market fit? And there's lots of different, you know, answers out there and, and sort of questions. And you're like, well, what's product market fit when I'm seed or what's product market fit when I'm series C or all these, I think literally it's, it's let's keep it simple. You're attracting customers, you're retaining customers and you're generating revenue. Okay. So that's, that's product market fit. Um, and then you can say, okay, but how do I find the product market fit? And I think that might be leads into your next question or the topic here, which is, um, like I mentioned, is really finding, let's say, the value proposition. Uh, and, and that's very important that the product team, the technical team, the leadership team, if you have sales and marketing, they're all involved in the value proposition. What is the process that you recommend to a company to 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 find that value proposition do you have any any technique that you recommend to do or and yeah what is the final result or outcome of that value proposition exercise yeah so i, I yeah I, I guess i set you up for that question right uh <laughs> so value proposition kind of yeah yeah i tease you there a little bit huh i wanted to ask that so value proposition is to me is the keystone um, and for, you know, there's a lot of companies that will say the value proposition is you, why it, your, your value proposition again. So let's start high level. You Google this, you know, you find a Wikipedia, a hundred startup websites and say, whoa, value prop, value prop, value prop. Uh, the, the high level definition is, is basically prospects. You're, you're showing or telling, you're communicating to prospects. Hey, you should do business with me, not your competitor. You should do business with me, not that guy, not that girl, you know, and why? It's because you're telling them the benefits are, it's just so crystal clear that your benefits and your services outweigh what else they can do. So a lot of companies will kind of say, oh, my value proposition is this. And it's a one liner, you know, maybe two lines. Um, that's an introduction to your company. Uh, that's a great elevator, let's say, I don't want to say elevator pitch, but you know, that's a, that's a door opener, that, that one line for your value proposition. But to me, uh, and this company doesn't pay me, but <laughs> to me, the value proposition, uh, and the best one that I have found is what is used by the company strategizer. Um, I came across it a few years ago and, and I think it is, is quite, 
useful, um, more than useful. It's, it's one of my go-tos. Yes, there are other frameworks and tools, but again, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm trying to get somebody from point A to point B. And if I can use existing tools and of course, customize or tweak a little bit uh, to help you as a founder get from point A to point B, we're gonna use it. And this one has been a, a gold mine for me. Uh, and a high level for what strategizer framework is, is uh, for the value proposition, excuse me, because it's a specific thing. So strategizer is, an, like a, is a business or you know, an educational institute, if you will, uh, who has lots of best practices across the board for businesses in general. That's not just startups per se. And, but they have what is called the value proposition canvas. And this canvas is a one pager and it puts together a product on one side and a customer on the other side. And they put it in a circle in a box and they say in the, you know, in these, in the circle for the, for the customer, the customer has pains. They have gains and they have jobs that they have to do. So three sections, three components. And you're identifying uh, as the founder of your company or the sales or the product manager, you're identifying what those pains of your customer are. And then on your side, you have what your product is or your service. And then you also have what your pain relievers are and your gain creators. So now you take these three things on each side. Or now, again, they, they have it set up as a circle in a box. And when they map up to each other, so a customer has a pain, you have a pain reliever, they have a gain, you have a gain creator, and they map each other, that's product market fit. So think about it just really simplistically. And you have a product, your customer, you've identified your customer has these three, four pains. If your pain reliever, if you only have one or two pain relievers, that's okay. As, because you can, they can map to many of their pains, but if you can't solve their pains, you're, you're starting to lose. And if the customer wants to gain something, right? And it does, again, it doesn't have to be financial, right? A game can be, they want to, they want to be looked upon as a leader in their industry. So take AI. A lot of companies want to apply AI because they, you want to use it as more. They want to gain this sort of aura of we're an innovative company. We are applying AI. So a company can say that's one of our gains. If you are not giving them these gain creators with your products and your services, again, you're now starting to lose uh, and you don't have product market fit. So that's to me, uh, for the value proposition, when I work with founders, they say, I, I always say, what's your value proposition? Nine out of 10, give me one sentence. And that other one maybe gives me, they found something online, and they give me sort of a few bullet points and they, and they give me something else. But to me, value proposition is deeper than that and it's more important. Um, and it's, uh, and again, it's the keystone on how you find your product market fit. And then the outputs of your value proposition are now being incubated and being pushed into your marketing content, into your sales content. When you're speaking with a customer, you're going to use these same words, right? And if you're in the very beginning, you're a start, you're a founder, you don't have a salesperson, you're talking to customers, you're using these, these, these terms. And guess what? When they give you the feedback, there you go. You update the value proposition. Oh, wow. This, this resonated. Okay. Great. Keep it. Oh, they've mentioned new pains. I need to add this. Uh, marketing, you need to, again, you're a startup. You have to maybe work with an agency. Now you don't have to sit there on multiple conversations and explain to them all these 
different aspects of your product in your business, you can give them a one pager and say, please work from this. Here's what we, here's the different pains we solve. Here's the different gains we want to give them. Here's how they do, how they identify their pains and their gains. Go ahead and use marketing spin, use marketing terminology, but this is the core pieces and you can apply this into the different channels uh, so that it makes more sense. So that's kind of a, a summary on how I work with the value proposition and product market fit. Got it, got it. So, well, I mean, there are a lot of topics to go deeper in yeah. there, but maybe just to clarify also, because of course, in this big combo, let's say, of activities, right, there is one part is about the customer profile. And I know that there is this concept called ideal customer profile, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, how do you, yeah, what, go, what comes first is like you need, or is everything at the beginning is, I assume is everything is an assumption, of course, based on the interviews or conversation you have with your customers. But, uh, but also it could happen that that from the beginning, that ideal customer profile is wrong because of X reason you decided to go through. Okay, I, I will decide to go to this market, let's say, to this with, I don't know, let's say enterprise size companies. And then, but then maybe they are not so receptive. So you are already kind of putting yourself out of, to failure. And then you need to kind of iterate that customer profile, right? So what is your advice to define that customer profile that actually can be ideal for you and, and to solve a problem? Yeah, and, and and you yeah, you spotted right away that is uh, you know, nothing's waterfall, right? Let's let's clarify that. Uh, everything is you know, there's multiple iterations and, and going back and forth. So there's nothing very static uh, when working as a as a startup and especially as you create your product. So uh, one thing back with you know strategizer, their their best practice is you start from the customer side. And now, Ricardo, to your question is, well, okay, but who is the ideal customer profile? Well, you know, you got to obviously figure that out. You have some inherent idea of who that is when you built your product in the beginning anyways. So you start off with your assumptions, right? You start off with, hey, I'm focusing in these industries. I'm focusing on these, this size of company. Uh, you already have some idea on what your price range is. So you already have some assumptions in place. And so when you start your value proposition, you always start with that high level person and company in mind. So you get your MVP version of your value proposition. You get your, you know, your 1.0. From there, you need to validate. So how do you validate? Well, we don't have enough time. I mean, that's another multiple podcast, but basically validation is, is, is flavors of research, right? And it's all about communication. So what channels do you have available to communicate to validate your value proposition, but as well as with the premise on who you wrote it for. So if you're a startup that has a SaaS product and you are selling to uh, the fine, let's say it's a FinTech or, or some kind of financial product and you're selling to consumers, you're not selling B2B. Well, that's very clear then, right? So you have a product, you're selling to consumers and you're selling to people with you know smartphones. You're, and if you have a higher price range, then you can start to say, okay, well, I'm probably selling to more, uh, you know, mid-senior individuals. 
Uh, you know, and you can start to narrow that down and you start to document these cases and then you can work from there. If it's B2B, what I always try to quickly figure out is when, when working with a, you know, as a mentor on, on different projects is if you have a product or a service and it's B2B, are you looking at a product or service that requires multiple people? Is it something that they can buy from you after one uh, engagement, maybe one phone call, one demo, or is there more? Because the more that you have, the more that your ideal customer is going to change. And if you know an industry that you're definitely not doing, so if you're not working in healthcare, then you know you can start to remove these, let's say, industries from your ideal customer profile and start to narrow it down more into, again, whether it's manufacturing or whether it's uh, food, you, you can choose, you can start to think about who these are. And for me, I think what I try to educate with the founders are there's a big difference between ideal customer profile and persona. So I'm, I'm of the school of the mindset that the ideal customer profile is actually a company, right? So what's the geography of this company? What's the revenue of the company? You know, what are the uh, number of employees of this company? Uh, what kind of services or products does this company sell? And you ask these sort of questions and then you find your ideal customer profile. And if you're lucky or you have time, you're, or you can, you're focused enough, then you can also start to tier them into tier one, tier two, tier three. The persona is the individual. Classically, there are three personas. You have a buyer, you have an influencer and a user. Again, depends on your product, depends on your service. So, do you need to engage all three of those people? Um, if we take this back to the value proposition, the value proposition is about the persona because you're talking about their pains and their jobs that they have to do with the games, but within the view of the uh, ideal customer profile of that company profile. So, yeah, I think, uh, I hope I was able to kind of answer your question. I think, you know, it's, I don't want to kind of move on to more topics, but, you know, I really think it's important that you say, okay, I know the industry, I know the geography, I know the revenue. You, you just need to get some metrics for the ideal customer profile. And then you, I need to say, okay, who am I talking to usually? Because that marketing content, that sales content, uh, you know, when you're going to, if you're going to do a survey, you're going to go to an event, who do you want to speak to? Most people always say, I want to talk to decision makers. Understand, very clear. But maybe you don't need to speak to them because your price point doesn't require a C-level or VP for buy-on. Maybe the product price is, you know, a few hundred dollars, you know, a year. Maybe the line manager can approve. So now you're just going directly to the user um, who's going to be the person who uh, will buy your product, not with his own budget at the company, but with the line manager approval because it's it's lower. It doesn't need to get to get up. So I hope that was kind of clear. I, 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 like you said, it's a, uh, it's hard to figure that out of which one comes first. Um, and I think it, it is chicken and the egg, but as a founder, you already have some inclination. You have some idea already who it is. So you just need to get it on paper, start identifying it and then go out and validate it with your value proposition. Okay. Sounds good. So uh just to clarify on uh, let's of course i am trying to 
to focus the conversation and maybe I didn't mention it before, of course, into software as a service companies, right? Um, um, but yeah, of course, this can apply in general also, right? So, but um, as you mentioned, yeah, this kind of iterative process of defining a value proposition and tested with a customer profile that you are kind of experimented if this works um how what is the time frame for that you would recommend to a company to do because i feel like it's not yeah how 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 much effort a company should do on time and into testing and then iterating their sales and marketing based on those results. Mm. If you have a question, I know it's difficult to generalize it, but it's like kind of a rough estimate towards, okay, yeah, I would say that you cannot say and say, and I will just do this in one day. Maybe you would say two weeks, three weeks, or something more realistic, right? Yeah, yeah. There is no easy answer for that, but you're, you're constantly validating. Right. Your doesn't mean you say you wake up and you say today I'm going to validate. I'm going to test uh, this. It's it constantly happens. Um, and how much time you spend on it is also dependent on. How fast can you move? Right. How fast can you go? You know, so if you have a, a SaaS product and your SaaS product is, let's say, a pure, you know, uh, you know, no touch and you just submit your credit card. Then your validation comes on the chat on comes on a lot of data, right? How, how many people click on your page? They click onto the, the buy and then they leave, you know? So you're, you're looking at a lot more data. So you're, you're, you're also checking, you know, okay, again, again, I know not everyone has, it's all about how much resources you have, time and money, but you're also really focusing on marketing. You're focusing a lot more on the content that you're putting out. Um, so you're, you're really trying to find the right metrics with, within that. And then those metrics help validate. So if you have ideas, which you think are pains or gains, um, and you don't have the budget to, let's say, pay for interviews, you don't have the budget to go to events, then you're going on all the channels that you can. You're sending emails out to people, right? So if you're sending a cold email to, you know, a thousand people, what's your open rate? You know, what's your reply rate? Uh, if you have a really good open rate, that means something resonates with you. With, the, with your customers. But if your reply rate, or let's say you give them a clear call to action, uh, you know, to go to that landing page, to go to that source of information that you wanted to push them to is low, then your offering isn't hitting. So obviously something in that content, in that, you know, in the meat of that, of that email didn't work. Same thing for LinkedIn campaigns, right? Um, same thing for other, uh, other channels that you might have. So, you, you need, that's where, that's why I would say the value proposition is, is quite useful because you, you know, as a founder, really identify what you think the pains are. You think that your customers have these pains. You believe your product should service them. And so when you take these pains and you turn it into uh, the right content, the right messaging for your, for the people that you want to sell to, you need to, you know, figure out, okay, if I'm going across these three, four channels, what are the metrics again? Again, as a SaaS, right? What are the metrics that are showing me that this is clicking, this is resonating, and this is moving forward? Um, and if it's not, you've got to change something, um, and you got to understand in the data why it is. And so this is a constant, a constant thing that you need to be working on. Uh, I don't necessarily bundle it as a, 
oh, today I'm going to just validate this or validate that. Yes, you can create some unique initiatives. Uh, if you do have cash, if you do have a budget, you can try to do surveys. You can try to do other mechanisms. Uh, you know, you can go to events, right? You can say, I'm going to find people. I'm going to uh, have a booth. You know, there's, there's ways that you can try to validate this. Uh, and I do recommend experimenting across different, different channels to do that as well, because you don't, you can't just be siloed to one. Uh, that's not, you know, we live in a hybrid world, so that's not very uh, effective. And I think also buyers today, uh, or even the, the users and the influencers uh, who you're targeting are much more savvy than they ever used to be. You know, they have so much data at their fingertips. They, you know, literally, you know, I'm not saying anything new, but I think I, I do need to iterate that the journey of sales and marketing is becoming, it, it needs to become probably more personalized uh, and more uh, building up more trust, right? You, people need to trust your company, right? Why, uh, why are they going to you, right? What content do you have to show that you're trustworthy? What, what information do you have to show that you're a knowledgeable resource? Um, so there definitely needs to be some more emphasis put into that, which takes time. Uh, that does take time to create, uh, you know, whether it's an article, a blog post, LinkedIn post, um, creating something that shows why they should, why, why you, why they should trust you if they don't know you. So, um, yeah, it, it, it does take time. There is no magic. Uh, there is no magic answer, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and it does trial and error. You have to be ready to fail. But, you know, as a founder, I think most people are quite aware that uh, that's what they have to take, the risk that they have to take. Yeah. Okay. Um, so imagine that you are um, a small startup working in, in software as a service uh, environment. And, and then, of course, to close sales, as you mentioned, you need to communicate and schedule meetings with um with potential customers so um then what is the percentage of time that do you recommend that the sales leader aka the ceo or already a salesperson is between this research mode and sales mode so do you believe that they need to do this in parallel or they just just need to stop completely sales and just focus on research only or is or as we have talked, is more okay. It's an ongoing process that you need to be doing both. What What is your general advice into this? Uh, I, when I, if, if we're talking small startup, five ten people, uh, not likely to have a any sort of sales function, uh, and it's something that the CEO is doing. I strive for them to continue to drive the sales process. So. They're the ones on all the calls. They're the ones creating the content or working with, again, maybe there's an agency or some designer. Okay. But they're the one that is really focusing on that because in that early, in those early stages, they are the ones who need to really understand that feedback that, that has to go through them because that feedback from the market then gets, it reverberates back to the rest of the company, right? So they are the North Star. They are the driving. Uh, point for the company and they will be that way for some time when the ceo starts to struggle and i know CEOs struggle all the time i understand but when the ceo is literally losing deals or is unable to close uh, because of 
you know, time, their, their, their skill set, uh, that's when they should look to bring in some type of help. So the help can come in a form as a mentor who can train them. It can come in or maybe a, a sales course, right? Maybe they need to just go back to some of the basics on, on, on how to win, on how to, you know, win deals and qualify deals. Uh, or if the volume becomes too much. So you're a SaaS product, you're getting lots of volume, you are not a one-click SaaS solution, or maybe you have like a, a freemium version, okay? But then, of course, there's lots of upselling, right? So you have a freemium version, and then you have a, a contact us for pricing. Uh, and if you are getting lots of free people, and then they're either not coming back, so the churn is really low, then the CEO might not be able to handle that, right? So that's where you have to look in bringing somebody in who can help. Uh, but that person that you bring in, again, what is their function? What, how do you define success? Because if the CEO is not able to handle that and they bring in a salesperson, that salesperson also at these early stages, it is so vital that they bring back the information that they're hearing, that they try to quantify the reasons. So if a customer doesn't, re if a customer uses a freemium version and then doesn't upsell, and you're able to get on the phone with them. That's an exit interview with a slight chance of upside, right? Or maybe you come back later. So that information is critical. And spending time on people who do not resign versus chasing people who might sign again. I, I, how do you put a value on it? They're both they're they're both of same importance because you don't want to get that new person on. And then you run into the same problem that the person who left it. But you, so you have to spend time on the person who left, but you might miss that person who's ready to buy now because you're too slow or you don't have enough time. So um, I understand the dilemma. My belief is, especially for SaaS, your the more content, the more understanding of those pains and that you can communicate through different forms is extremely important because you have to come up with a form of trust, knowledge, uh, you're an expert in your domain, and that need to come, that needs to come through digitally much stronger than, than otherwise, than a, than a service or a selling, uh, through a phone call because you're, you're talking about hundreds of people who in the future, you know, thousands of companies or, you know, that you want them to eventually click on your site and pay for it without having to have lots of sales calls with you. So that means they need to be moved further down the trust funnel uh, and education funnel, which means you need to understand your customers in much, much, much more detail. Okay. So my question is, uh, this type, these two types of meetings should happen in parallel. Let's say that you have certain balance between you have these needs meeting or discovery meetings, and those discovery meetings will kind of update your the way you are handling the actual sales meetings or or you consider that you need to do one or another or you consider that the sales meeting already is a research so it, you just need to focus into one so how do you feel into that <laughs> well i think what you're touching upon is is just the sales process so if you have a lead who is interested in your product and the very first phone call with them is a discovery call. So you mentioned understanding their pains, what are their needs? So you're not actually giving a demo in this first phone call. It's a quick, let's say 20, 30 minute discovery phone call. 
they just want to they want to just sort of understand you a little bit more and they're they're willing to talk and in this call again it depends on the there's there's too many variables to to tell you a black and white answer. Should the CEO be on the discovery call? Should should they not? I, I don't know. Uh, it it depends on how many discovery calls are you getting. You know, I mean, there's volume, there's quality. Uh, you know, like you said, if they're ideal product maker, uh, ideal uh, persona, or ideal customer profile, then maybe the CEO should be on because how many discovery calls were they on previously? How close is the CEO to the product? Is the CEO managing that or has he now delegated to somebody else? So there, there's just too many variables to, to say that. But as a startup, I do believe that the CEO should be on as many as they can, assuming that there's a competent sales function in already there. So a sales function doesn't mean you have to have a salesperson. You can have somebody else who's handling that. Ideally, you want somebody who is trained and who has experience in sales because you want to push them through the sales cycle. So you do the discovery call. After the discovery call is success, you started to qualify them, then you move on to, let's say, the demo. Um, and the demo, again, does the CEO need to be there? No. Should they be there? Again, I don't know. How well are they are they tied into the, the product? So um, unfortunately, the, the, yeah, I, I can't really give you, you know, let's say, how much a CEO should or should not be in these sales calls. I always look at it as what is the CEO's function? Is the CEO a tech person who hates people, who doesn't like to socialize, and they just want to put their head down and code? Are they a more business attuned? Are they in the middle? Where are you? How much content do you already have? How much? How well do you think your product market fit is? You know, How big is your pipeline? If you have a very small pipeline, then the CEO should probably be involved more because they need to understand why it isn't clicking, what's not resonating. Because if it's not resonating, who controls the budget to improve that? The CEO does. So if the salesperson is asking the right questions and the salesperson is going through a strong process, but they don't have the content, they don't have the material, the demo is lacking if you move on to the next call and the leads are failing, then the CEO should understand that to invest in that, whether that's time, because they're a coder or they're technically savvy enough to improve it, or they can send, spend time or money or reallocate resources to do that. So I hope that kind of uh, answers your question a little bit. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's just too many multivariables to, to, to put into place. I think the short answer is if you're, a, if you're a small company still and you have limited runway, you need to really, as a CEO, understand the market and something that I haven't brought up before, but why they need to understand the market, why they need to understand their customers is because the, eventually, especially if they're looking for, for a next round of funding, they are a storyteller, right? There's a CEO is a storyteller. That is their job. Uh, their job is to, you know, storytell the mission to their employees, to their customers and to the investors. And so if they don't have all this information when they're doing their pitch deck, when they're moving forward and trying to raise capital and they can't tell the story of why the market likes their product and why they're successful, then they're going to have more issues. So to me, it's, it's valuable that they stay attuned uh, to what's happening. So I always push for the CEO to get involved as much as possible when applicable uh, during the sales process. Okay. 
yeah thanks for clarification in general so um i know that we have been talking a lot about right now about value propositioning ideal customer profile and product market fit um then uh, maybe we are missing one part of the equation because of course there are different opinions into it but uh, how much a company needs to analyze its competitors and and what are your recommendations into what type of analysis do you need to do uh, just some people said well just ignore your competitor and just focus into uh, solving the problems of your customers and other people are more open to to okay you need to check what your competitors are doing and yeah so what is your position into this and yeah what why to foc why to check what competitors if it's actually a need yeah so you know there's a few ways to look at this so one is with sort of sort of an example um so i was working with a with a founder he went to an event and at the event he was just a visitor he was walking around he was looking at potential customers. He was looking at the, you know, trying to understand the market better, uh, looking at competition. And he came back to me and he's like, oh, yeah, there was only, you know, three, four companies there that was really competition, but they really weren't my competition. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, ah, they were maybe like 10, 20%. I, they use some of our words. They use some of our phrases, like the same thing, but they're not really what we do. So I said, okay, but they were there. And were your customers at this event? And said, yeah, there was a lot of customers there. Uh, definitely, I'm going to go back and, and, and exhibit next year. So I said, okay, so why wouldn't you take your competition there seriously? Like, why wouldn't you think that they are more than just 10, 20%? Because if your competitor is sitting there and a potential customer walks to that booth, to this company, and they actually get a deal. They now, they're not going to go to you. And that, why? Because that customer, first of all, didn't know you were there. Okay, I understand. Maybe budget time, you just couldn't get there. But that customer doesn't know what they don't know, right? They they saw some another company who you saw as only 10, 20%, but they saw them as a solution to their pain. And they went with them. So to me, I look at it as, you do want to see what your competition is up to. Okay. I don't think that you should, I don't think it makes sense to put your head down and, and bury completely. Um, but how you react, like what you react to the competition, again, comes down to so many things, time, money, resources. I, I understand that. So, but I think you always want to make sure you're staying competitive and you differentiate yourself. So I do think there's aspects that you need to consider. Um, and so you need to consider your positioning, your resources, uh, the market that you're in, uh, you know, th those are definitely things that you should look at. Um, and then, of course, if you don't have the staff in place, um, the time to, to properly analyze, I understand. But if you do have a little bit, then I look at things, um, you know, especially if you're a SaaS company or let's say a, a almost SaaS or want to be a SaaS type of company, then I think you can do little things like creating battle cards. Um, or you can do a classic SWOT analysis. Uh, it also helps to look at yourself, right? There is some introspective because if you look at your competitors and you're like, oh, they do this, you could also say, oh, we also do that as well.
and it comes back full circle to the value proposition because if you are not solving all the pains and you're not giving all the gains to your customer but your competitors are then you know you're you're losing product market fit yeah so and do you have any specific um uh, framework about how what you should evaluate of your competitors like you should evaluate their copy you should evaluate yeah <laughs> well uh yeah i think first of all you should sort of understand uh i always just quickly start as do you know who your top five ten competitors are can you even identify who the top is and then why so why are they in your eyes when you read their website or you know them personally why are they the top competitors and then i try to take those five or ten and then you try to give two or three reasons and then you try to sort of bundle those reasons after that uh, or the value in, into doing that is because they're all your closest competitors when you're in a sales call and your competitor says yeah but your comp your competitor does, does a b and c you need to be able to have a comeback for that you need you need to uh, you know offset that uh, concern they have um Okay, I understand pricing, that might be a classic one, but at the same time, you still need to be able to overcome those objections. Mm -hmm. So, but if there's a feature, if there's a feature set, if there's something else about it, the company has been around longer than you have, right? More trust, more history, then you need to be able to understand how to overcome that objection for them uh, on the sales call. So that's all why I would say you kind of find out who they are, what are the top things, start to group and bundle those things. Um, and then if you want to go deeper, again, you have a sales team, then you can build a battle card or a SWOT analysis. So you could pull that information up uh, if you're in a phone call and you need to quickly differentiate yourself and, and, and overcome that objection. But I wouldn't look at one specific piece. It's, it's, a, it's an over-encompassing thing. You know, what are the pricing points? What are the feature lists? How long have they been around? Uh, who are their current customers? Do they have a better foothold in an industry than you do? Um, you know, the business cases they have that these are the things you should you should quickly, uh, you know, the services they offer. Sorry, that's also a good one. What kind of services do they offer versus yours? Uh, these are the different aspects that you should all take into consideration as well. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, maybe I'll, as a last point for today and before closing, so I know that you mentioned objections into calls so, or into meetings with, with customers. So, um, yeah, I, I see that you, you make an example that, let's say, if you your competitor is having um, maybe or, or with more amount of features. So uh, what are your recommendations to a startup working maybe in an environment where they already have some competitors, which in theory, they have more features or are more robust already in the market compared to you. So um, how do you battle those yeah, those objections compared to them? Is coming back to the value proposition on a specific niche or is coming back to some other techniques? Yeah, so this is this is a mix. So first of all, let's uh, let's let's make a couple of assumptions. Uh, let's assume that you have that potential customer on the phone call. So you have to first off to start a great, you know, what, what resonated with you? Why, you know, let's, let's, let's get right to it. Why are you on the call today? So it's all about asking questions. Okay. It's turning it around and asking them. So this is the psychology of selling. This is the qualifying of selling. 
That customer is on the phone with you. They are there for a reason and let them tell you, okay? And then of course, how does it evolve from there? You know, that, that we could play a whole sales game from there. Um, but I look at it as if they're on with you, they're there for a reason, okay? And you need to uncover what that reason is. Are they there purely for research? Ask them, you know, okay, why are you on? Oh, I want to know about your product. Great. What's the pain? What are you trying to solve with this? So, and if they say, well, it's, you, it looks really great, but your competitor is doing, has more features. Then you can just say, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to come back with why your features are better. Let them tell you, let them tell you what that feature is. They're there. So. If somebody says to me, yeah, I, I, I really like where you're going. I think where you're going, you know, but your, your competitor has feature, you know, blue and green. You're like, yeah, they, yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, pause. Let them tell you why blue and green is better than what you have. Is that a deal breaker or is that just something that they like? Because you can also say, yeah, I understand that they, they do have that feature. We don't. We have actually something similar because you told me earlier in a phone call, your business case was to do ABC. So let's really focus on the features that solve your business case. Of course, we have a roadmap. I'm happy to give you access to our backlog and our roadmap on features that are coming in the future. Uh, but really today is about solving you know, <laughs> what this is because maybe as a newcomer, your price is cheaper than a competitor, right? And yes, the competitor has more features, but you're cheaper, you're quicker. So there's other aspects and you need to understand what it is, you know, and let them tell you why that is. Um, if they were so in love with one feature or two features that you don't have, but they're on the phone call. So understand that. Why you hear that? So if you're so in love, then why are you here? Right? Um, so it's really about questioning. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that uh, startups have, especially the, the leadership team that are doing sales themselves. They don't have the training to ask uh, open questions, uh, how to use different sales techniques, uh, there's different things called like um, reverse questioning and uh, upfront contract. There's all these sales mechanisms in psychology that they need to apply that uh, they just don't have the experience or they don't read about and aren't trained on. So this is uh, how I would approach uh, approach a situation like that. Okay. So I know I promised last question before, but I think it's <laughs> I will move to one more if there is if you have some time. Um, Sure. It's sure. about you. You mentioned these techniques and and about how to make open questions. So, do you have any recommendation of books or other sources where people can learn more about these these techniques or other sales strategies and so on? Yeah, I mean, you can first just start with uh, Chat GPT and Bard, <laughs> and uh, and ask them for. I think they're probably one of the greatest tools to say how you know about open questions, but. Uh, no, jokes aside, there's um, there's a, a few different frameworks. So you have a very classic sales framework like BANT, B-A-N-T, which stands for budget, authority, need, and time. And so those are a series of qualifying questions or topics that you ask them questions about. So there's that one. There's Medic, um, which is also a big one. It's a little more enterprise related, I would say. And then there's other classic psychological sort of trainings and books. One of them is called the, the Sandler, uh, was it the, the Sandler training? I read that years ago. It's a, it's a very, it's an older one, but still very relevant uh, today. So there's lots of good inspiration from, from going there. Um, 
there's uh yeah i mean really i there's just so many I, I don't even know where to start i mean for me i'm always trying to read different books uh in general that are about sort of sales and psychology so it's not even that i have a philosophy uh, on just one and i only want to <laughs> let's say become a master in in that one sort of philosophy or that that strategy uh, i think sales marketing understanding customers and product it's constantly evolving so um yeah there's one called another one called like spin selling uh, what else is there the new solution uh, there's just so many uh, i'm happy to give a list of my library if uh, anybody any of your listeners would like to know i'm uh, happy to, to share that yeah that would be good if uh, we can share it later so we can put it in the podcast notes uh just sorry to ask you about Yeah, you mentioned Medit, or like, can you know what Medit, this stands yeah. up for? Like, is this what what does it mean exactly into the letters? Like, it have a meaning or no? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a uh, medic is a like a sales uh, process or or framework, and for. I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with what medic is, and there's the reason why I say medic is because there's actually a few variations. There's a medic and med pick. And so it's been constantly evolving over the use over the, over the, the years that it's been around. And so the one that I kind of default to is M E D D I C. So medic. Mm -hmm. And it stands for M is metrics. E is economic buyer, D is decision criteria, the fourth D is decision process, I is identify pain, and C is uh, a champion, so the internal person who, who will go for you. So these are different ways for qualifying clients. And so you are you should be applying it's it's sort of a you know i don't want to say a checklist per se there's i'm not a, a professionally certified medic trainee or a salesperson but i do take aspects from this into uh into my business uh in, in the business development and working with clients uh, so again i think i find medic much more on a um it's a little more enterprise a little more bigger application when i work with mental when i work with startups and founders i try not to give them something that this is so robust they just how to incorporate that that into something is is quite hard so i try to start them first with band and then tell them this isn't rocket science this is just to help get you familiar especially with non-sales trained ceos um it's sort of the starting process to to move up or Uh, to get them up and running with something that is easy for them to, uh, let's say, grasp and start with. And then, of course, there's, like I said, there's a Sandler training uh, and, and medic, and there's a few others out there as well. Okay, okay. Um, how can people reach you out to know more about you, Tony, and, and your mentor mentorship uh, services, and or if they have any further questions outside of this conversation? Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm very reachable on LinkedIn. So my profile is my uh, full name. So Anthony Temperante, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, T-E-M-P-E-R-A-N-T-E. -E -E. So it's my full name. Uh, 
Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm, uh, I'm on there quite often. So <laughs> it's a, it's a channel that I use. Um, so I'd be happy to answer any questions about, uh, mentoring, uh, angel investing, uh, or business in general. Okay. So thank you very much for your time today. And, and I, I was really enjoyable for me and I hope it was for you as well. And we can keep talking. Yeah, Ricardo, thank you very much for the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, talk about these topics for your, for your audience. And I hope that something was able to resonate with them uh, and they were able to, to learn something, you know, always take a, a step forward um, in business and success. So hoping everybody uh, really, really good amount of success. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to, to reach out. Okay. Thank you. And see you around. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. Feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time.